This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Black black, 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 Welcome to Blackballed, everybody. My name is James D. Fiore, and I have half a voice today. Um, I don't have COVID, but every time I take a rapid test, there's one stripe, and then there's like the dye of that stripe leaks down to where the second stripe is supposed to be. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Should I take another test? And then my neighbor told me that she took five tests in the fifth one in a manner in like four days. She took five tests, and the fifth one tested positive. So. Yeah, maybe they're expired. I have no idea. Um, today we have, and this is a person that just came on my radar not too long ago during the convoy protest. She was sort of in the thick of it as an independent journalist. And I'm pretty sure she got pepper sprayed. Um, and and then she, uh, she said that she had her bank accounts frozen for being there. That is one of the aspects of the convoy protest that I strongly disagreed with. I didn't understand the point of it unless funds are being used for nefarious purposes um and still that would be on the recipient's head not the person who sent it so we're going to talk about that and um yeah she's with us right now her name is andy lee andy how are you good how are you thanks for having me James. first time no here. Problem at all. yes you're you're a first time uh, yeah, guest. Waters. <laughs> we have right um you know what's funny is that um i just put out uh the the video just promoting this earlier today and immediately, I get inundated with a couple of tweets and messages and emails. Um, and this always happens to me. Uh, they perceive you as being really far right. And so they'll send me an email telling me that I'm giving an alt-right person a, a platform. To which I always say the same thing. Fuck you. <laughs> don't even like, I don't even say anything beyond that. I am so tired of that conversation. And we were talking just before the show about how... You have been sort of, uh, I don't know, mischaracterized is the right word, but we were talking about polarization and how that just happens. Like I was telling you how I had Noam Chomsky on the, on the show, and so I had a bunch of right-wingers saying that. I had Max Bernie on the show. I had a bunch of left-wingers saying that. And, and it's like their arguments are identical. They are like clones of one another, but in bizarro world because they think opposite. Um, tell me about your experience with that and, and what, you, what has happened to you uh, professionally since the convoy. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's very much true. And, and I got the same thing, right? I got, oh my gosh, you're working with a left winger. Uh, you know, what's going on with you? I mean, it, it's funny how we sort of get locked into these, you know, these these characterizations that don't even necessarily suit us. And, and people don't even know that much about me. I'm very much a centrist. I'm actually almost more liberal than anything. Uh, you know, if you know me, I do a lot of work with, you know, the international community, with human rights organizations all over the world. Uh, you know, I'm a huge advocate for minority groups. Uh, you know, my children are Chinese, right? I mean, people are calling me some, you know, this crazy white supremacist racist, um, you know, and, and so they don't really people who who actually, you know, go underground and, and find documents for me in other countries and translate them for me. Mm, so, I mean, yeah. you know, you very easily get sort of labeled and put into this. And, you know, because I went with the convoy, this is something that's going to stay with me forever, right? I'm always going to have that label. Yeah. Um, I don't regret going because part of the reason that I went is that I saw that a group of Canadian citizens were going to be labeled 
right? Uh, I saw that they were going to be labeled and maybe they would be mischaracterized uh, and maybe they would be villainized by our mainstream media and our government. And so that's part of the reason that I actually went with the convoy is to fight back against this narrative and say, no, 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 you know what? Maybe they don't fit into the box that they want you to fit into. Uh, maybe there's more to it. And, you know, maybe, you know, there's common ground that can be found, right? We don't have to, and and both sides do it. Like I said, no one side owns it, right? We've got leftists calling rightist names. We've got rightists calling leftist names, right? Yeah. We, yeah. You know, nobody has a monopoly on, on that. And, you know, the pandemic and, and the Freedom Convoy accentuated all of these differences. And they made this, you know, this divide in, into, you know, something that, you know, was maybe not so big. And, and we're seeing the pandemic has accentuated this divide, right? And we're finding it harder and harder to bridge it. And it's so frustrating because I have gotten really right wing in my reporting because I felt like I had to sort of fight back against a strong left wing legacy media narrative. And that's not even necessarily what I want to be doing, right? I, I don't want to be out there defending people because I feel like they might be, uh, you know, unfairly attacked. Uh, you know, I'd much rather be doing, you know, the centralized reporting and, you know, looking at the international community and doing the things that I used to do. But I sort of had to shift to domestic affairs and and abandon that and take a strong ground and, and almost sort of battle back. And, you know, I mean, really, the convoy, what you saw, you saw the battles, like it was legacy media sort of, uh, it was a David and Goliath battle. It was legacy media versus sort of independent media. Right. And we sort of saw the left come out against the right in this, you know, this David and Goliath clash. And so, you know, it was fantastic. And but I mean, it's not healthy. Right. No, no, it's, it's not. not. Um, so that's funny that that um, that you want to, you know, that you hate your children. <laughs> apparently you know what i mean like like what is this um it's interesting that you said that you you, you feel like you're uh, maybe even a little bit more liberal i think i know what you mean but I'll, I'll just speak for myself for one second here and say that i check all these boxes that i thought meant progressive or whatever left of center and they're as follows i i'm anti-war um i think climate change is man-made um i believe in the societal safety net of some sort you know um and you know, those are the kinds of things that I, I thought that was, you know, pretty big. Like, no matter what I believe, if I believe in those things, I'm probably a progressive. And then identity politics came about. And all of a sudden, I was told that I was a racist and a misogynist and, uh, you know, alt-right and all that. And I'm like, but what about those boxes that I check? And I think that kind of threw a wrench into everything. And people are now programmed to hear keywords like, as if they are the human versions of search optimization software. And when they hear the keywords, they don't seek the depth of those meanings in their brain. They just reflexively label you. <laughs> That's it. That's why there's certain words that, that people, like you can't use certain, you can't even playfully call someone a cuck anymore because that is completely off the rails right wing to do something like that. You can't, um, and then there's just the words that are like, offensive just on their face like libtard and things like that um I, I find the whole thing to be social media's fault and i think um the 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 way that we're navigating social media right now uh, we're so beholden to these companies and their algorithms they tell us who we're going to talk to in a sense um i always sort of lay the the blame at the feet of the social media giants what about you well, I mean, you know, it's interesting because I, I had like a moment of introspection the other day, actually Holly Doan and, you know, Holly from Black Box and she, mm -hmm. she posted a seminar and she was just like, journalists are swearing and cursing at each other on this platform. And she's holding like a webinar on sort of, you know, civility and journalism and standards. And I was like, geez, you know, do I actually act like myself on this platform or is it transforming me into some, something that maybe I don't want to be? Right? Is it yeah. is it taking away some of my my goodness and and uh, you know is it is it turning me into a bit of a different person? Is, is is it making a bit of a monster? And I do think that it is. Right? Uh, I don't act. Really? That, That's don't, interesting that you would think that. I don't act the way that you know I would act in in real life on social media. You know, people think I'm this crazy you know 
pit bull. And in real life, I'm very, very passive. You know, I don't even like to argue, you know, talking about my bank. I didn't even like to argue with my bank. That um, was funny though today. So, where, yeah. <laughs> so it really does, you know, have a, a tendency and it, it, it's this, you know, it can also amplify your, your, you know, your worst characteristics as well as your best ones. But then as well, you know, I look at social media and, you know, when we talk about my old account being seized, I mean, I had some of my threads, they were translated into eight different languages. They were shared worldwide. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. So it also allowed me to connect with people all over the world and, and learn from them and grow from that. People that I would never have met elsewhere, right? I would never have had this opportunity to learn about all of these things. The only reason I'm here is because I covered the Iranian election. That was one of the first mm -hmm. things that I did. And I covered- That must have been, you covered it in Iran? No, I covered it. I helped them get get, mm, okay. uh, get word out from Iran during the election wow. um, because they're heavily censored. So they were looking for yeah. journalists and they didn't find any help. So I said, well, I'll help you get this out. Um, so that was one of the, you know, the first and most important things that I did uh, because they sent me all these videos of empty polling stations because Iranians boycotted their elections uh, because it was Ibrahim uh, Raisi, the butcher of Tehran, who killed political prisoners, was you know going to be inserted into the presidency. And so Iranians boycotted their elections to show that they were sham. It was a fraud election. They didn't have a free election. And I got sent all this footage from Iran, and I realized I was watching election fraud in real time. And so I sent it to Stephen Harper and Stephen Harper went and took it and, and gave speeches and, uh, you know, gave, went to conferences on, on this, this election. And that's when the bug really bit me is that I have this tool and if I can wield it in the right way, I could maybe actually influence policy and do a lot of good. And so that's you, one of the first things that actually brought me to, to where I am today was doing that. Well, not only that, but you have... A I've only been talking to you for 10 minutes or so. And I mean, you have sort of an elegant disposition. You could brand yourself as almost like a hybrid journalist, which shouldn't be something that you would have to do, but you're right. People will associate you with a platform that you might be on. I, I think I've established my brand um, like where an audience knows that, I'm a person who is not ideological. I, I you know, so <clears throat> maybe I don't have to do that, but yeah, there's people that write for certain publications um, that I talk to them afterwards and they're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not liberal. I'm not as liberal as now magazine. And now everyone thinks I'm this. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. <laughs> there's like, you have to come out and talk about it. You have to have discussions like this in order for you to sort of like save yourself from that, I think. So it's good that we're having this. Yeah, yeah, no, it is good. And, and like I said, you know, unfortunately, most of the, you know, most of the work that I did was, well, I mean, it's, it's a lot of it was disappeared with Twitter, right? <laughs> so, but yeah. I mean, unfortunately, a lot, a lot of people came to know me for covering the Freedom Convoy and the work that I did there. And, you know, I, I didn't agree with, with all of the things, but at the same time, I believe that they agree, uh, had a right to be represented, right? And represented fairly mm -hmm. and not smeared. And, and there's no denying at this point that that a lot of that happened, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I I thought it was very the, unfortunate. The coverage was slanted clearly. Like it was almost like they went out there and they had a mission to look for the most offensive things they could find and ignore everything else. That that's what it felt like to me. I I didn't support the protests as far as why they went. I thought it was very convoluted. I I still think that there's a, there's a chance it was a, uh, an AstroTurf campaign that snowballed to this place that no one expected. I noticed that Pierre Poiliev is the biggest recipient of support from that protest, and that always makes me wonder, okay, you know, if you work backwards from Poiliev to his operative or staffer and operative and whoever else, it feels like fingerprints are on it, but whatever. Um... That that more that to me is more of a story than the convoy itself. The the thing that bothered me a lot was how the D and this actually started a long time before the convoy. The language of dehumanization just sort of slipped in people's lexicons as if it was nothing. 
as if as if that's just par for the course to completely devalue the life of somebody like like the cover of the toronto star that time said uh, something to the effect of um no if if they die i have no remorse for them you know they 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 didn't get vaccinated that's their problem or something to that effect and i was just like this is insane <laughs> we shouldn't be doing this well, I mean, we did polls saying should we lock them up do we put them in jail right or should you be fired for being a protester at the convoy protest should, does your boss have the right to fire you? Was the headline? And people were fired, right? That witch hunt was real, and and that happened, and that was you know, that was fully endorsed by you know our subsidized media, and I thought it was really horrific. So yeah, so mm-hmm. I sort of had to settle into this role of you know defender, um, yeah. you know, because there wasn't there just wasn't enough of that happening. So um, tell me what happened to you. Um, you 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 got to Ottawa. You started covering it. Um, you got assaulted by a police officer, I believe. And then, uh, and then afterwards they froze your bank accounts. Well, actually it started, it started long before Ottawa. So I actually joined up with them in Alberta. So this was when it was, you know, a small movement. Uh, I showed up at the rally point where they were meeting. There was, you know, maybe 20 people there. And so I went home and I thought, I'm going to put out a Twitter and see if I can get, you know, Calgarians out. So I put out a Twitter story and I said, you know, I'm going to go meet up at this rally point. Let's go see what's going on with this convoy. And so when I went back, there was hundreds of people. And I can't say that that was all me, but I did sort of help to, you know, maybe uh, get some interest. And that was before MSN was, you know, it wasn't really on their radar. They were saying it's a dozen pickup trucks, Um, you know, and then the, you know, we sort of joining up convoys. And it's just when I saw these people, you know, they didn't seem nefarious. They didn't seem, you know, I mean, everybody pointed to the the memorandum of understanding and it was, they were always trying to overthrow the government. And there was this sophisticated insurrection that was going to take place and all this foreign funding was backing it. And I mean, like, you know, just when you actually met these people, they, they had very simple needs, you know, and I saw them just playing music and eating together and hugging and, and singing together and I just thought you know these are there's nothing you know insidious really going on here and I feel like a lot of them were used these are all things that I want and Mm -hmm. you know when I looked at I looked at sort of this document this memorandum and I thought you know these people have no idea how this document is even going to be used against them down the road and I criticized the the memorandum of understanding and I said gosh you have to toss that get a lawyer change it right uh, get professionals because you have no idea what what you know what's going to happen and so i ended up joining in with them because i thought you know what i don't know if they know what the government and, and you know some legacy media actors are, are capable of and i felt like they almost needed protection mm-hmm. because you know they were vulnerable because you know they didn't have this sophisticated plot it, they were it was scattered. Really? It wasn't well planned, right? There was no like you know secret underground communications that I saw. Most of it we, we worked out in public in plain view on the on the CB radio, right? And so I yeah, you know, there was a reason. There was a parallel. Um, the convoy protest to the January sixth thing that I like to point out sometimes, um, because it's it it's interesting. It feels like. Both camps had um, organizers and a fairly decent contingent of people who legit were like, we're going to Ottawa. We're going to take over. And Justin Trudeau's going down. There were, there were people that were, were like that on both sides. And I'm always, I, I was always quick to point out, well, it's a good thing they didn't send their best and brightest to the revolution so we can all, <laughs> we can all sleep easy. But sh- then I was, then I, it took me a while to try to figure out, should they be charged with, treason or whatever and i came to the conclusion that if you were an organizer who stated and you may not have been that bright and sophisticated that you were going to um arrest justin trudeau and take over the government even if you're dumb you should probably get charged with something because it just doesn't it it, it, there the free speech argument um fades away only in one type of situation as far as i'm concerned where which is the threat of violence or in this case, you know, the threat of taking over your country. <clears throat> it doesn't sound like just an aside, just something to say. Um, 
And I think that if they were, if we got stuck with like the well-organized militias that, you know, have military training and all that kind of stuff, and they were the organizers, I think everybody would be saying, even if that document was not changed at all, everyone would be saying, well, these are obviously treasonists. But because Cletus and his merry band of banjo players were the ones that, <laughs> that wrote the thing and, 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 you know, when we're really talking like that, because you can't be bright if you're talking like that in public. You just can't. Well, I mean, to me, that that even spoke more to the fact that they weren't sort of criminal masterminds who had a plot to overthrow the government when you sort of looked at that document, because... Well, it was written in crayon. No, no criminal mastermind would have written that um, and sort of proceeded, you know, and thrown caution to the wind like, like they did. Like, I, I tried to give them advice. You know, some of it they listened to, some of it they didn't. No, I was like, you guys should have, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of funds. Get lawyers, get a public relations team, get a mediator, yeah. right? These are all things that you can do. Get a spokesperson. And get me $8 million. And <laughs> some, people, that's what's missing. some people were like, well, you should be the spokesperson. And I was like, no, absolutely not. I'm not taking responsibility for this. There's no way. I will try to help give them guidance, right? And I did give them guidance and I did criticize them. Like they're, you know, they're maskless shopping. I was like, guys, cancel this. Don't do this. You guys go swarm a mall in Ottawa maskless. You know, everybody's going to film it. It's going to be on TV. People are going to complain. And you are going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You're going yeah. to become the evil people that they want you to be. So don't do it, right? Common sense. So, I mean, you know, I, I tried to sort of guide them in, in, in a better direction and, and keep control of the situation as best as I could. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, ultimately. Uh, Did you, you know, advise them that maybe Ottawa residents would not really like them very much if they just continuously honked their horns forever and ever? <laughs> I did bring up maybe we should have some, some honk <laughs> limit. I mean, I'll tell you, I was there. <laughs> some honk <laughs> limit. But when they were all going, I mean, it was intense, right? Like, I mean, it really, really, really was. I, I mean, would go nuts. I, I would um, literally start bashing shit with baseball bats. So, like, I lived in Toronto and construction season bothered me to the point of no return. Never mind. You know, go ahead. And, you know, I, I tried to talk to the police every day. And I was like, and I asked the police a couple of questions. Like, I was like, because, you know, we had like sort of the main Parliament Hill blocked off, but so many of the side streets were blocked off. And I was like, is anybody talking about, you know, maybe we could reorganize these trucks and open up side streets and clear the barricades on side streets so that businesses can reopen? Like, is anybody even having these conversations? You know, what they, you know trying, what they should trying to get out of this, right? Right. And it's just, you know, everybody said, well, you know, the protests, you know, uh, was an affront to democracy, right? That's what Justin Trudeau said, right? Uh, and I'm like, well, I mean, for everybody who's, you know, saying that they hold democracy near and dear, we bypassed the very democratic process of negotiations and went straight to like, can we call in the army, right? Can we seize bank accounts? Can we do all this wild stuff? I mean, nobody even tried, you know, negotiating really. Yeah, you know what the thing is, is that I don't know if Stephen Harper's government would have been too pleased, and I'm just trying to do the mirror opposite thing here, um, with negotiating with Antifa after Antifa demanded his resignation so that they could take over the country. Yeah, I mean... It's almost basically what happened, but the other way. To be you know? fair, yeah, if you if you flipped it, like, would I want my government, you know, negotiating with Antifa if they just, you know, decided to you know set up camp in my neighborhood? No, really. But I mean, I think the, the thing is, you know, we really need to see the inquiry and was the Emergencies Act warranted. And, you know, even the architect himself, Perrin Beattie, has made comments and testimony indicating that, I mean, he basically said, even if the act was warranted, it should never be used in this method again. It should be changed so that it can never be used again, processed again, because it's a slippery slope, right? Then when do we use it? When do we know? Yeah, if Doug Ford ever becomes prime minister, he's going to use it in the first week for some reason. No one's going to know why. You, <laughs> you know, know I, is illegal in Calgary, right? I mean, like this I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a bridge too far. The the Emergencies Act. I I, I didn't think that that was what um, the people who wrote it intended its use for. But at the same time, it was six days. It was in this little pocket. 
of Canada, it's the capital, but like, I mean, it wasn't wide, widespread nationwide or anything. And I think the reaction to that was like, all oh, right. Like everyone's reaction to the other side was like, Jesus Christ, settle down. <laughs> like he's not a, people are calling Trudeau a dictator and a tyrant. And then like a few weeks later, Vladimir Putin goes, oh, hold my beer. Cause I'll show you what a dictator and a tyrant looks like. This is the most first world example of a tyrant I've ever seen in my life. He's more of a cupcake. He does like to hold on to power. That centralized PMO power that, um, that Stephen Harper really perfected and Justin Trudeau has carried it on. I'm not a Trudeau fan at all. I think he's an awful prime minister. And what I hate about this country is that we don't have any leaders. You know, I, I'm not, I didn't like Stephen Harper. I, do, I don't like Justin Trudeau. Um, the, the, the coalition thing with the NDP, it could last either between one day and like 600 days, but we have no idea how long it's going to last. Um, what does the country do? This is going to be out of left field a little bit, but I think you could probably provide a pretty good answer. What does a country do to improve leadership, I guess would be the boiled down version of that question. Yeah, that's right. You're on the spot. Go ahead. Right now. Watch. I'll make it more comfortable. Well, I mean, geez, how do we, I mean, I mean, is Justin Trudeau interested in improving his leadership? Uh, I mean, it, you no. know, is, is he really interested in doing that? I don't so What he's that. interested in is trying to figure out how he can win the next election so Christia Freeland doesn't take his place. That, that's what he's well, interested in. I mean, it just, he showed no indication. I mean, you know, in many ways, the protest was, was successful because, I mean, it, it really nailed his popularity, right? So, I mean, in some ways, that, that was a big win. His popularity took a big hit. Uh, I mean, I guess I have a question. Do you think not when I say negotiate with protesters, what I mean is, do you think it would have been reasonable uh, as you have the, as, go ahead. <laughs> You're the journalist now? Go ahead. <laughs> do you think it would have been reasonable for our government to say, you know what, we have this massive sort of outpouring of support for this, you know, this freedom convoy. And we've got this massive protest going on and things are changing all over the world. Would it be reasonable for us to relook at federal mandates? And, and bring that up and say, maybe maybe these aren't required anymore. I mean, would that, um, would that have I been an appropriate and, you know, democratic response that maybe we should have seen in, in Canada? I have a hard time picturing a Western leader agreeing to negotiate with people who literally just said you should be in prison. Now, and I think that the, the whole, um, the, the, well, hold on the, the main, the main, the main part of the, of the convoy, no, hold on though. But the, but the convoy had organizers and the convoy had a manifesto. Unfortunately, they put it out and I wouldn't negotiate with someone if they, if they wrote that about me, I don't think I would. And no, now, I'm do I think Trudeau made the right decisions? No, I don't think he did. I think what Trudeau maybe should have done is sent out a minister to talk to somebody just for this purpose. We want you to be able to exercise your democratic right to protest. But you have like all of these gigantic trucks and uh, we think that you should have like six that are like the leader trucks and then the rest of them just automobiles because you're fucking up our city. That's what I would have asked for initially. Yeah, well, and like I said, I mean, I, I tried to, to ask if those discussions were even taking place, you know, and if anybody was mm. even talking about this. Um, but I mean, you know, when we're talking about leadership and, and how do we improve our leadership, you know, given that, you know, this wasn't the fringe unacceptable, right? It, it was a big, big movement. Uh, you know, it was trying to be, you know, downplayed at the beginning that it wasn't going to be something. And, you know, it ended up becoming massive and, you know, visible worldwide, right? And inspired many other similar movements. So, I mean, should our leaders and, and parliamentarians have gone to the table and say, maybe we have to relook at, at federal policy, not negotiate directly with protesters, but say, you know what? Obviously, Canadians are, are saying something here. Uh, it's not, you know, just a fringe minority. And and maybe we have to go back to the table and talk about what, what's going on in Canada. And maybe we have to start, you know, leading in the House and saying, yes, we hear the people. Uh, we're going to be better leaders. And we're going to relook at these policies and see if maybe change is warranted. But they didn't do that. And they still even won't, even with mask mandates being dropped. Right. 
first thing they come out and say is, no, 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 not in Canada. You don't get this, right? So, I mean, is that good leadership? It almost seems like they're clinging to this, you know, in the face of overwhelming evidence that maybe this isn't the way forward and this isn't sustainable. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. And they just I don't... Think, I, I think there's a, there's a very... There's, to Is me, it... like if you, if you say, not you, but the royal you, if people say that they know what the right answer was for the pandemic. That's just bullshit. Nobody understands this thing. No one really what happened, I think, is that um, if you already had a narrative going in about big pharma, government, vaccines, all that kind of stuff, you were probably going to take one side. If you had another narrative going in where it was like, you didn't hate the government or, you know, you, you, you've been vaccinated before, so what's the big deal? All that kind of stuff, you were, you were probably on the other side. But... Then you, when you look at the data, some microcosmic data tables seem to point to an indication that um, that there were, okay, listen, there's correlation and causation. I still don't know to this day because I see all these statistics about mask mandates and how cases went up. Or I see, um, you know, all these examples of countries in Europe where it was like, see, they got rid of lockdowns and then it almost went away. And then like a month later, it was back right up again. And, and so anyone that can say that they, they, they know what's going on is yep. lying to you. <laughs> you know? everybody, I mean, everybody's saying, you know, well, you know, uh, I got COVID because mask mandates came out. Well, you know what? I was locked down with my partner for a week in Mexico. He's triple vaccinated. Oh he was COVID oh. positive. Sorry, and the I, bad part of that would have been be, me being locked down with my partner, but please. Go I, no, it was good. It was good, right? Like it was a good lockdown. It's fun lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so but no, he's triple vaccinated. He was COVID positive, so we got locked up in Mexico. Uh, you know, and I obviously we we were not wearing masks and we were not social distancing whatsoever. I'm only double <laughs> vaccinated, and I never got it. So That's what I mean. It's clearly far more complicated than you know just vaccines and masks, there's obviously, you know, a lot about the individual that, that's coming into play here when we're talking mm. about transmission and things like that. And it's going to take us years to unwind it. So, I mean, you know. I agree. I think the vaccines, uh, the efficacy of the vaccines were embellished or inflated because it's still big pharma. So they're still going to fuck you somehow. Um, but at the same time, the one thing that data does show is that, unvaccinated people when they get COVID and when they get this uh, variant are having a much harder time than people who are vaccinated. Yeah. And I've always staunchly, you know, pointed that out. I was actually, I mean, I was one of the biggest sort of proponents of our vaccine movement, um, you know, and I've sort of backed off and changed my position a bit. Like, I'm, you know, am I going to get boosted in perpetuity? Uh, well, you know, I'm not seeing data. Uh, you know, um, I have to see the hard data showing me that, that, there's a lot of benefit because like I said, I've never got it yet. Is my vaccine efficacy going to wane? Yes. But you know, are four shots in a year normal? I think it's hard to, it's hard to deny at this point that there's a problem with the vaccines, right? I'm not saying that they're not, they don't work and there's no denying that they improve outcomes, right? Medical outcomes are far improved. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I do still think that in light of the fact that they're not an all encompassing panacea, they're not going to get rid of the pandemic. 
they should very much be optional, right? And so that's why I had to sort of take the stand and say, no, I'm going to switch sides, right? I'm coming out against the lockdowns. I'm coming out against the mandates. Uh, you know, I'm not coming out against vaccination, but I'm coming out for, you know, freedom of choice and bodily autonomy. Um, you know, and people were like, whoa, you know, you just did a 360. And I was like, no, I mean, not really. It's just, you, you know. You were nuanced with things your Things changed, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I think that, that was the problem with me is that I wasn't like a complete nutcase, right? Is, is I was like. Well, that, well it, it's also like, it's also that thing that we opened this discussion with, which is the two boxes. I, I was um, on the Dean Blundell show when this pandemic started. I felt like sort of like a lone voice where when I was like, guys, I, th I think that we are um, heading into a direction here where we are just like, if you said that, you know, in 2021 or something like that, I am anti-lockdown this. There were, there are so many people that immediately would just think to their minds. Oh, she's like a religious extremist, probably a racist. Da, 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 da. And I, I just, the writing was on the wall with that stuff so early on that you saw the rest of it was easy to predict in a sense, not the pandemic, but the way people would interact with each other, you know? And I thought that, um, first of all, I thought it was obvious. I didn't think I was like a, a psychic predicting that it, it, it was happening right before our eyes and there was no slowing it down. People were just ready to villainize because there's a lot of people that don't believe in lockdowns that think that um, George Soros regurgitated vaccine into the waiting mouth of his baby bird, Bill Gates, and he was going to destroy the world with it or whatever the fuck that conspiracy was, right? Like, and I was like, oh my God, guys, we got to stop. We got to stop doing this to ourselves. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's just, I think the problem is, you know, and we do see a lot of conspiracy theories and, you know, I, I dip into this, right? I get into the World Economic Forum sometimes. Uh, you know, am I crazy about digital passports? No. But it just, I don't sort of go all the way down the rabbit hole, right? Um, uh, as long as they're not implanting us with it, I don't really care so, if it's convenient, right? Yeah, I, I don't. It has, a, it has its benefits and it has its pitfalls. But yeah, I think the problem is that there was such deep mistrust sowed by our governments and by, you know, some of our media that people are really going like far down the rabbit hole on either yeah. side, yeah. right? Uh, you know, and, and they're angry, right? They, they don't trust things anymore. So, you know. Yeah, and it's a perfect storm, sort of, isn't it? That's when we see sort of, you know, this, you know, this, this divergence and people taking these extreme positions on one side or the other and, you know, losing that sort of common ground and, and being able, even, you know, able to relate to each other. I mean, when you look at the convoy, it only took a couple of days for, you know, certain language to start coming up. But I noticed this very quickly, right? It was, they militarized the terms, right? It was oh, occupation and all that stuff. Yeah. It wasn't demonstrators. It was, it was a siege. It was an occupation. And this yeah. is not, this is deliberate, right? This isn't accidental, uh, you know, and it, it's really, really skews public opinion, uh, you know, and makes them very, very suspicious. When you start to apply these terms, you can't help but think that, yeah, this is like a military uh, uh, occupation, right? It's, you know, it's not a peaceful protest. And I mean, you know, and, and like I said, it's not just one side that does this. The other side does it too, right? Mm. Like we do well, the worst part was is that uh, the worst yeah. crime, sorry, the worst crime committed at the convoy protest was the attempted arson of that apartment building. Which was labeled like, oh, look at the look at these right wingers. They're trying to start a fire in the building, and it was a big story. And then all of a sudden, it comes out, oh, actually, they were literal communists. <laughs> like they were like one of them, anyways, was like an actual communist, and they were trying to frame, um, like they were trying to set the building on fire so that the media would blame um, right wing protesters, and and the legacy media was just crickets. To me, well, that was a that would be a front page story ten years ago. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I, I wrote an article on that because I had a big hand in debunking that. I I oh, found sure. some some other footage from uh, another guy who was put out at nine in the morning. I was like, hold on here, how come we've got like people tampering with evidence at nine in the morning, and then all of a sudden we've got police not called until two thirty p.m. and then we've got a viral thread going out the night before, right? Like, is this how you report the, you know, the hate crime, the mass murder of the century, right? The, you know, the Jussie Smollett of Canada, is this how you do it? No, this isn't how you do it unless you want to get a lot of attention, 
right? Yeah. So I was part of the ones that, you know, helped debunk that. And Jonathan Kay, you know, and yep. I had a great, of course, that was all seized with my old Twitter. So it's like kaput, right? Yeah. Out yeah. The Don't worry about that. But yes, yeah, so that was one of the, one of the biggest stories to come out, and you know it was it was used, and um, yeah, yeah. It just it just bothered me. Um, what bothered me is that any attempt at nuance was being met with like, no, 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 they shouldn't be there, blah blah blah. And any attempt to be like, wow, some of them are problematic. Nope, nope, they're all patriots. And it's like no one's having a conversation about reality anymore. Well, I mean, you know, and so I, I tried to be realistic. Were there problems? Did I see people chasing journalists? Absolutely, I did. And I told them not to do it, right? I said, don't do it. It's going to be all over the news. And again, you're becoming exactly what they want you to be, right? I understand that you're angry, but you can't be that self-fulfilling prophecy because this is what's going to be shown on the news. None of the good stuff is going to be shown. This is what's going to be shown, right? So don't do it. So that was like the worst thing that I saw was actual protesters, like physically chasing, you know, camera crews and things like that. I mean, they didn't do it to me, obviously, you know, uh, I had open arms, but so that stuff did happen. Right. But yeah. there, was, there was more to it than that though. Right. There well, was it became, this is why I had a, why I had a problem with it. Um, the, the problem that I had with it is that it, it started and immediately I was like noticing certain MPs, um, you know, using stock photos of empty grocery shelves. Th that was a non-story. There was no story there. There was no, um, there, there was no supply management crisis, which is what they said there were, there was, um, there was a problem with supply management, but it started a year before that. It wasn't new. And so when they started doing all this stuff that was like manipulating people into thinking things that would get them fired up and activated, I was like, hold on, this seems like a conservative operation. It just does. It, it seems like a conservative party of Canada did, you know, organized at an arm's length this thing to, to sort of like, to, to, to sort of blow up or, or get traction. And then I think it became something that nobody expected it to be. But it wasn't about mandates by the time I got to Ottawa, it seemed like. It was a Justin Trudeau salad bar of what do you hate about Justin Trudeau? And if you didn't like his socks, they were like, okay, you can come. It didn't matter anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it started out as a conservative operation, right? Uh, I don't yeah. have any evidence of that. And I'm just saying, but, um, yeah. I'm not really a conspiracy theorist, but a gun to my head, I'm probably saying that. I don't think that the Conservative Party of Canada minded when it started damaging Justin Trudeau's reputation. And propping up Pierre Polyev. And yeah, well, I mean, you know what? That's that's how the game is played, right? Um, but the game is also played with nefarious they, dark operations too, though. When they <laughs> and saw, the conservatives yeah. are well known for this, right? Like, Yeah, well, I mean... Do you remember how blatant their scandals were in past elections? Robocalls, like that was just like, hey, are you a liberal voter? I'm going to send you to the wrong polling station. And they did that in a whole bunch of writings or the in and out scandal where they kept on scamming the taxes that would have been taken off by sending the money that they raised to all these different, like they know what they're doing and they, and they can keep it dark if they want to. I think, I think all sides do that. Yes. Right? But that means that we can criticize and be suspicious of all sides. And I'm suspicious right now because of the conservatives. <laughs> And you're, you're, you're totally entitled to that suspicion, right? I'm just saying that, that my personal opinion is not that this started as a conservative movement, right? It, just because I was there at the beginning, and maybe if you were there at the beginning and you saw, like, it, you know, it's just sort of a, a mishmash of Canadians, right? A couple of truckers, a couple of people that had, you know, sort of made structures on their pickup trucks. Um, you know, and, and Tamara, Tamara Lynch and people that were touted as the organizers, they don't seem like a brain trust that knew how to raise $24 million. They, they, they just, there's someone working behind them. Like, they, I don't know if this necessarily conservatives, but Tamara Lynch is not a savvy fundraiser. Like, she is not. She's I'm, a, she's a bartender, I think. I really can't explain what happened with the, the funding. I mean, and a lot of stories came out about that and. I mean, I donated to them, right? I donated. Yes. To them. And what so, happened to your bank accounts after you donated to them? Uh, so, I mean, you know, it, the fact that they raised that much money is—it is—it's totally insane. Um, but I mean, you know, a lot of that 
you know, the theory about it being a lot of foreign funding and, you know, massive donations that were coming in from, you know, strange sources, a lot of that was, was debunked, right? But yeah, I mean, it was a phenomenon. I don't really understand how it happened. Uh, but I know that a lot of people, people like me, donated a lot of money, right? Um, so my bank account, so I flew back out to Ottawa the weekend. Why do you hate your country, Andy? I just do. I just hate it. <laughs> I want it. I just want it back, right? It's not that I hate it. I love it. It didn't go, it didn't go anywhere. It, 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 trust me. It, it's okay. Know, it's, this is just another prime minister. He'll be gone one day. It'll be fine. Like, I just feel like, I feel like the longer that this goes on, the more we lose ourselves. And that's what, that's what I found is, you know, I found that, that when I saw these, these people, these Canadians and, you know, I had strangers hugging me and offering to feed me and, you know, warming me up. And I just thought, gosh, these are all, these were all the normal. No, I mean, in their cabs. Right, okay. <laughs> and, and there was the hot tub, of course, right? There was the infamous yeah, hot tub. Yeah. So, no, I just thought these were all the, the great things about my fellow citizens that I missed. And it was really infectious to feel that again and, and to be like, gosh, we've been missing this and we have to get back to this somehow, right? And, and so anyway, so I flew back out to Ottawa because I had a feeling that they were going to slap down the Emergencies Act. So I flew out there for the crackdown. Uh, you know, I was I was there for that. I was there when the police cleared everything out. Yes, I got pepper sprayed. Yes, it's on camera. So if you're not a fan of me, you can go and look that up and <laughs> replay that moment and enjoy it to your heart's content. And, uh, you know, I did I did actually, after getting pepper sprayed, march into the police station and, and go to the press conference and have the guts to say, you guys pepper sprayed me and I've got some questions to ask you. Um, so wow. but anyways, so I tried to e-transfer while I was in Ottawa. I tried to e-transfer some money out and uh, that locked my bank account. Wow. And so that, you know, was, it might've been, it might've been the press conference that did it. I more was so than the donation. Well, it might've been, well, because that was the press conference where people were asking if there were loaded guns. And so I have chief bell on camera saying, yes, there are weapons. But what question, was he talking about? Was he talking about the bridge thing? The question was, were there guns in Ottawa? And he said, we are investigating weapons. So it was kind of a weasel wording. And then, so that was a lot of where this rumor came from that, yeah, there's guns in the trucks in Ottawa, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I have that on, on recording. And, and the way that it was worded was inappropriate and misleading, I thought. Anyways. Yeah, you know, guns or not, the 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 left, um, they had to reconcile. They didn't, but they should have reconciled with the idea that there was a, there was a lot of people there, and for a protest that big, I didn't see cops beating the shit out of people. I didn't see a lot of violence or anything, and and I think that's a victory. Whether or not you think the cops had a good motive for not um, stepping in earlier is kind of besides the point, you know. And because I think it's good for the left. The left should be tickled pink that this happened in Ottawa because the next time Black Lives Matter wants to protest at like, you know, at, at uh, Queen's Park or something, you know, I think those Toronto cops are going to remember, oh, guys, you know, there was no incident in Ottawa and there was le there's less people here. So let's let's not crack skulls today. OK, to which a bunch of Irish cops would be like, fuck. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that there is I think that there is for what it was, for how massive it was, it was pretty well, you know, I think it was as good as we could have possibly hoped for. And a lot of people hoped for violence and they wanted us to storm parliament and they wanted us to act crazy and do all these terrible things and, and fight and loot stores. A lot of people were really rooting for that. And, you know, none of that happened and i said you know that that's probably the worst you know the best punishment that we could have delivered is if you people are angry at being labeled maybe incorrectly the best punishment that you can deliver is to not you know not turn into what they want you to be right have fun dance be silly do stupid things dress up in your costumes right do all this stuff because and, and make make a mockery of this narrative that was created. That's the worst. Two magic mushrooms and get in a toga outfit right? and sing, right? Yeah, That's what like, I do. and so I'm doing that tonight. I think that it went as well as it possibly could have gone, 
right? It went as well. And I think that it was in Canada's best interest that it go well, right? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, specifically about the violence, I agree with you. I think the convoy itself, um, the identity of why they were there to me was so muddied. And the, the way the international community was describing it, I was like, that's not. Like the horse thing. <laughs> I couldn't believe. I read a Scottish story and it was something like the first paragraph was like, Prime Minister, uh, Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau showed his tyrannical chops when he ordered soldiers to march with their horses on top of blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what the, what the fuck are you talking about? And so there was a lot of like, and so that activated more people. And conservatives have a really good way of cooperating with each other when they think that they might be onto something. And this is one of those moments. Well, I mean, you know, the horses, I mean, I I was filming that. That was when I was pepper sprayed. So I was pepper sprayed while I was filming that. Yeah. I I thought that that was a very dangerous move and I didn't see what triggered it. So Ottawa police put out a statement and that, Mm. that statement's disappeared as far as I can tell. So they did put out a statement saying that protesters threw a bicycle at uh, the police. And that is why the the sort of the horses were, uh, you know, driven into the crowd of protesters. So um, I think I, horses are a bad idea at protests. I well, I mean, you know, it's just they're, they're unpredictable, right? Um, you know, they're in really, you know, volatile surroundings. Um, Plus, if I'm at the protest and I see a horse, I just want to like touch his little muzzle thing. Like, I don't want you know I mean? to. Like, horses are beautiful. I don't want to like, be like attacked. By I mean, horse. that was that was a really bad, stupid, rash move where people could have been very seriously injured. Right? Like, there were some injuries. There were people knocked down, and there was never a bicycle, to anybody's knowledge, thrown at police. Uh, so they no. did a statement out that was completely false. And I've got that one on camera too. Uh, that was one of the questions asked at the press conference. So I do have that one on camera where they're asking if a bicycle was actually thrown. And Chief Bell says, I believe he says, there's a lot of disinformation out there. So <laughs> no like, in well, now. <laughs> it was your disinformation, right? That's so, so I mean, but yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I think I think both sides have to be really careful about going overboard and and how we Yeah, talk. let's circle back to that because I, I I have time for one more question. So I, now the convoy's done. You are like I am not one of these people. So I was seeing through all this stuff when I was doing my deep dive on you. Um first of all, you're a terrific writer. Thank you. Really, really your your stuff is really well written. And I'm just curious now that the the, the dust has settled a little bit. How how are you going to go about kind of fighting that image of just being this like flag on the far right and that's all I do now kind of image? Well, you know, it's really hard. Like I said, now that I've got that label, it's gonna it's gonna stick with me, right? So people have sort of made up their minds one way or another, and and uh, you know, I, I don't know if I can change it. Um, but you know, I've got some some good work coming up. So, uh, you know, just in case I get deplatformed again, and, and that's probably imminent, um, I, you know, I started my own show. Uh, so, you know, I'm working with people and I'm hoping to have, you know, good guests and, and not just right wing guests on, right? I want to have. No, never you know, do that. No. I want to have people who are, who are doing good work in the community and, and, you know, people who can challenge me and, and, you know, uh, people who can sort of broaden my scope because that's, like I said, that's how I started. I started. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think that should be your brand. I think you should tell the story of, of what. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. yeah. And, um, and also, you know, I'm I'm starting to work with some some organizations, and I, I was working with them before, and I sort of dropped it because I lost my voice, unfortunately. So I didn't feel like I could help them. But you know, uh, working with some community outreach programs, uh, people who work with human trafficking, uh, people who work with you know. Uh, international students and things like that who are exploited. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's the sort of stuff, hopefully now that I, I hope to be able to go back to and, and focus on more and, and, you know, not sort of come out and be this, you know, this right wing, uh, you know, defender of, you know, and who and hates so- her Chinese children. That's yes. so bad. Amy. Yes, I know. I know. Well, I mean, um, is your show on right now? Is it, what, it's so funny because, I mean, I, I've gotten so good at using translators and, you know, I'll talk to people in Arabic and I'll talk to, you know, people in, mm. 
in uh, you know in uh, Persia and I'll talk to them in in Chinese and things like that. Yeah, you know, trying to to bridge this you know this divide that everybody says you can't bridge right and and you can't be this if if you're a conservative or if you're a right winger you can't be this. And so you know, there's people like Holly, Holly probably told you. Uh, I I know Holly from Black Lux. I I think she's wonderful. Yeah. Um, she told me this one, so that's why I'm assuming she might have told you. When you find out that a certain demographic really likes your shit, don't abandon them. And I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I think like I think I want more than one niche, you know. I, and I get it. But journalists in the states, people like Tim Pool, for example, who was like this left wing journalist covering Occupy Wall Street. Um, he discovered probably by looking at his analytics and realizing that whenever he criticizes the left, he gets a ton of followers and a ton of support from the right. I used to get that too, but only for a day because I would criticize Justin Trudeau or something one day. And then the next day I'd be all over Donald Trump. So I would get like 300 followers because of the Trudeau piece and then lose all of them because, because I criticized Trump. But I, I had to do that because that's my, that's my that, that was my truth. That was my those are my ethics. Uh, that's how I feel about Trump. That's how I feel about Trudeau. Um, when you when people are being told that they should play the game, not I'm not talking about what Holly's uh, advising me, but what Tim Pool did. And you can tell that a person is not sort of they don't have the courage of their convictions and they're placating. I think the work suffers inevitably. Well, it it. It really does, right? Um, like I said, you, you have to be able to, to put forward unpopular opinions. Hmm. And that was something yeah. I really struggled with in the convoy because as much as I wanted to root for them, I also had to come out and say, no, 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 don't do this. Yeah. Randy, stop eating that skunk. And some people were like, <laughs> and you know, and some people were like, Andy, you know, the, the MSM media is terrible. And they're, they're saying terrible things. I'm like, they are saying terrible things. But you have to trust me. Don't do this. It makes you look very, very, very bad, right? And stop writing your manifesto in crayon, Terry. And yeah, and you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, be reasonable. Try to be professional, right? As as much as you can. Mm -hmm. as, as hard as that is. So, and and I had to put forward those unpopular opinions and sort of open myself to to attack, right? And some people did attack yeah. me, but then you know, it's also my responsibility to you know again, to make sure that I don't fall too far down, down, you know, the extreme side one way or another, because I have to sit there and ask myself sometimes, yeah, you know, if I want to shoot out something really fiery and spicy at Justin Trudeau, I could probably get like 5,000 likes, right? And get a whole bunch of people following me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, do I want to, do I want to take cheap shots or do I want to, you know, try to bring myself back to, to center and, and, you know, not go into sort of these extremist holes and, 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 you know, be stuck there. Like I said, I feel trapped in a box of my own bias right now. Yeah, listen, but you, you're doing a good job. You wrote this piece. Um, we don't have time to go uh, deep dive, but what I'm going to do is encourage people to go read it. The Canada Infrastructure Bank, A Tale of Corporate Cartels, Laurentian Elites, and Public Pensions. Um, it is so well written. And, and you know, it, 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 it criticizes the Trudeau government, but it doesn't do it in a way that's like hyperbolic. It is literally talking about money. Where did it go? Why don't we know where it went? Why are these freedom of information documents redacted? These are questions that a journalist is supposed to ask. So I would agree. I don't think you should go for the low-hanging fruit of the 5,000 likes because you called Trudeau a cuck. I think that you should do more pieces like this one, and and I think that you'll you'll find your stride. Andy Lee, where can people find your stuff right now? Thank you. So, well, I'm on Twitter at the real, uh, or sorry, real Andy Lee show. Uh, I'm on Getter at, at uh, the real Andy, and um, I've got my website. So that's andyleevna.com. Uh, so yeah, so that piece was actually it's part of a five part series, and I'm still working on it actually because I'm oh, sort of picking apart all the projects as they come out. Okay. Um, so it's still a work in progress. And then I'm, I've got my own show that I'm starting, and that's going to be the real Andy Lee show com. So, well done. When is that starting? Um, you know, it, it should have started, but I'm a procrastinator, and and I yeah. get to, you know, if you if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I get my paws into all these things, and I do these deep dives, and uh, you know, I've always got sort of twenty or thirty or fifty things on a go, so um, I should be recording 
next week. I'm just finishing up my website and that's going to be great. Commit. You're not ready to commit, Andy. It's clear. And so that's going to just... be a great talk because my first guest is going to be author Michael Sanger. Uh, so wow. he was censored by Twitter as well, wrote a book yep. on Xi Jinping and was kicked off of Twitter. And now he is suing the U.S. Surgeon General for directing social media accounts to be shut down for hmm. pandemic misinformation. So really fantastic talk and, and a good friend of mine. So, uh, yeah, so that's well, where I'm thank you. Listen, I, I, I'm going to keep following you. Um, I don't think you should listen to the people that are trying to brand you as one thing. I think you're going to be fine. And uh, thanks for coming. We'll have you back again. Andy Lee, thank uh, you. Thank you for having me back. Great talk. No problem. Great Take talk. Care. Yeah. Um, I, I, I meant that, by the way. I think, um, I think that we have a tendency to get caught up in the moment. And, um, and when we do that, I don't know how long-term we're thinking. You know? Like there, there are certain people... Like I didn't like Occupy Wall Street when it came out, even though I was probably a lot more progressive. I was like, this is it's not how to do this. The, they, they, they set up this like communist committee and they wanted every single decision to be like voted on by, by a committee that didn't know what they were doing. And I was like, you know, called a conservative even back then for that. I, I think we have to stop doing that. Um, and it's not just because that's literally how I roll. Um, if you go into journalism not liking any of the parties you're probably better off than a person who bleeds liberal red or conservative blue it's just the way it is um so that was fun i i had a good time i think she's very nice i'm gonna do something at the end of this show um because uh my cousin danny de fiori gerns um and i have been working on a couple of things um i showed the blackballed video last week and for some reason, I got really high, and I did a cover of the Counting Crows round here. Now, I know what you're thinking. How could you possibly outdo the original? But um, we did it a little bit differently. And I'm just, I'm going to do this from now on. I'm going to, I'm going to, I keep on making music. I have uh, something coming out called the Midlife Mixtape. Um, if you don't know, I'm a retired hip-hop artist who, since the pandemic started, I've gone on an Olympian schedule to like regain my chops, and I'm going to record 30 tracks or so in the, in the summer. And it's going to be fun. So if I can get permission from Adam Duritz of The Counting Crows to do this, I will. Um, hopefully he won't sue me for what I'm about to do now. Tomorrow on the show, we have Gail Harvey, and um, she is a, she's the director, one of the directors of Heartland. And Katie Bolin, who's an actress, who happens to be her daughter. Um, they're going to be an interesting uh, couple of people to talk to. They're actually my ex-neighbors in the beaches. And um, yeah, it'll be fun. So until then, we'll see you next time. If you caught me looking stressed, as someone said in the comments, um, or, or, or staring at Andy instead of the camera, I'm under the weather. You can probably tell by my voice. It's not usually this sexy. And, um, and yeah, so we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, everybody. Step out the front door like a ghost into a fog with no one notices Contrast of white on white And in between the moon and you, the angels get a better view Crumbling difference between wrong and right I walk in the air between the rain and threw myself in back again Where I don't really know Maria says she's dying through the door, I hear her crying Why? I don't know Around here, we'll always stand up straight Around here, something radiates. Maria came from Nashville with a suitcase in her hand. She said she'd like to meet a boy who looks like Elvis. And she walks along the edge of where the ocean meets the land, just like she's walking on a wire in a circus. She parks her car outside my house and then she takes her clothes off and she says she's close to understanding Jesus And she knows she's more than just a little misunderstood She has trouble acting normal when she's nervous Around here, we're carving out our names Around here, we all look the same Around here, we talk just like lions we sacrifice like lambs 
Around here she's slipping through my hands And she says it's only in my head She says, shh, I know it's only in my head But the girl in the car in the parking lot says, man, you should try to take a shot. Can't you see my walls are crumbling? And then she looks up at the building, says she's thinking of jumping. She says she's tired of life, but she must be tired of something around here. She's always on my mind. Around here, got lots of time. Around here, we're never sent to bed early. Nobody. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy, democracy is, is something you do. you do. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars. The one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars. A lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating. And have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.